If you would turn to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, we're continuing in our series, Pearls and Perils in the Book of Proverbs. Or, if you want to put it this way, Wonders and Warnings from the Book of Wisdom. But either way, looking this morning at the pictures of the Book of Proverbs. This will be the second message in this series within a series. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 reads, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Just a brief bit of review here. A proverb is a statement that makes a comparison or summarizes a common experience. Of course, we said uh, these were written by King Solomon. And the question comes up, well, how, if Solomon was such a wise man, did he find himself in so much trouble later in life, having married so many women from other countries and having so many wives and concubines, having made so many poor decisions later in life, how can we attribute this book to being one of value since it's written by him? Well, the fact of the matter is everyone fails. Every one of us make mistakes. Every one of us do things we wish we hadn't done. We say things we would like to be able to take back. No doubt, Solomon, when he got to the end of his life, he would like to have been able to retract many of the decisions he made as king later in life. But the fact of the matter is, it is God's word and the truth of what is written in this book that is beneficial for us. He provides for us guidance, direction, instruction in how to conduct our lives on a daily basis. And it's interesting because he covers most every aspect of life, whether it's family, finances, interpersonal relationships, business, government. It's incredible how he deals with so many different topics and subjects in this book. Two important facts to keep in mind, though. Number one, nearly all of the Proverbs are parallel statements. It means there's two statements that run alongside each other. Some of them complement one another, and some of them are contrasting. We need to realize that. When you see the word but in in that uh, proverb, it usually indicates that the second statement contrasts the first. The word and usually indicates that the second statement further develops what's in the first. So that will help us to keep those things in mind as we're reading. And then also, Proverbs are principles, not promises. They are generalized statements of what's usually true in life and must not be claimed or treated as promises. For example, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, A soft answer turneth away wrath. Now, in most cases, that works, doesn't it? It's a principle in the Word of God, but it's not a promise. You consider the lamb-like attitude and demeanor of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, that wasn't enough to stay the hatred of the religious crowd who were determined to destroy him. So realize just because we seek to practice what we see in Proverbs and put that into practice in our lives it doesn't guarantee we're going to get the expected or desired result, okay? There are guidelines to help us in knowing how to live and walk with the Lord. Well, in this series, we looked at the purpose of the book of Proverbs, the people, the paths, the places, and the praise of the book of Proverbs. And as we said, now we're looking at the pictures of the book of Proverbs. 
We've already looked at the illustration of the picture of communication. Now today we're looking at the picture of confidence. And by the way, I was asked about this so, because I started out this series by saying the word like is found nine times in the book of Proverbs. Like is a simile. It helps us understand a comparison is being made in what's being said. So I said I'm using those nine verses in this brief series. But uh, someone says, well, what about the word as? <laughs> That's also a simile. Well, the word as uh, appears 90 times in Proverbs. And I'm not going through all 90 of those. So anyway, this is just, this is meant to be an exhaustive look at the pictures, the similes, the illustrations of Proverbs. But it's just to give us an overview, okay? So for those of you who want to do a more extensive word study on the word as in the, Pro- in the book of Proverbs, have at it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but we're just going ahead and keep this brief. But today, we're looking at the picture of confidence. Proverbs 17.22, again, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. We're looking at three things this morning. We're looking at confidence in perception, confidence in in possessions, and confidence in people. So we start out here with this verse, and Solomon again reminds us that a person's mental outlook has a lot to do with their recovery from sickness or accident. A cheerful disposition is a powerful aid to healing, but a broken spirit, a discouraged heart, saps someone of their vitality. Now the phrase, a merry heart, it's a heart which has been taught by the Spirit of God to seek its happiness in divine and heavenly places. Such a heart gives us the best reason for cheerfulness, for faith encourages us. Faith keeps us from suspicion, distrust, and fear. This is also spoken by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. On the other hand, a broken spirit, that's a heart crushed by affliction, discouragement, or despair, and it's one that refuses to be comforted. Have you ever spoken with someone and they're brokenhearted about a particular matter and it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter how you may seek to be a help and an encouragement to that individual, it just seems like there's no help in them. There's no getting around it. It's it's tragic to see someone who is so discouraged, so despondent, so filled with despair. Such is one who looks at life with their own interest at heart, rather than considering God's will in the matter. That sounds like a harsh statement, but understand, everybody goes through difficulties. Everybody faces struggles, trials, sickness. I mean, how many of you have had a broken bone? Okay, a lot of you. How many of you have been in the hospital? Nearly everybody. I mean, it's a part of life to deal with the frailness of our body. The weakness of our flesh puts us in situations where we find ourselves either physically, emotionally, or spiritually in danger and sometimes even harmed. Everybody deals with that. The problem is people react differently to their struggles and trials and situations of life. And it's this attitude of heart When we go through trials, do we look for a way to blame someone else? Do we blame God for what's going on? Or do we acknowledge, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand. God, I don't don't know why I'm going through this. Think of the Apostle Paul. 
Thrice he besought the Lord concerning healing for his particular infirmity, as referred to in one of the Corinthian letters. But God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. The person who determines God's grace is sufficient in trial will have a merry heart. That doesn't mean we're happy about what's going on, but it means we're confident in the Lord rather than our own plans, understanding, or desires in this matter. See, it leads, uh, this verse leads us to the question, what brings happiness to the life of a believer? Well, the Bible tells us the love of God is shed abroad in the hearts of those who are saved. You know, when things don't work out the way we expect, it's not an indication that we've failed. It doesn't mean we've been defeated. It in no way is meant to imply God doesn't love us and care about us anymore. Absolutely not. It may well be that God has a better plan for us than the one we designed. You know, wouldn't you agree with me that you know, for all of us, we, we kind of have things in mind as far as how we'd like to, our, our life to work out. We kind of picture how we'd like to see things happen in the lives of our children. We kind of have a good idea of how we'd like to see things go at work, at home, or in our community, in our country, in our church, in our mind. Each one of us have a plan. But really what's important to understand is God has a plan as well for each of us. And sometimes those plans are on a parallel path. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Sometimes they're perpendicular to one another. And that means we're heading in a direction other than what God wants us to do. You see, the issue is what makes us happy. Helping us to understand or to have the right perception, the the right understanding of our position for the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, Paul asks, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, we belong to the Lord, and it is right and appropriate for him to choose what is best for us. We see God works in the lives of people constantly. We know God puts everyone in the body as it pleaseth him. We know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And David learned this as he wrote in Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. See, the problem for a lot of folks is they leave God out of the equation and they follow the advice, for example, of the Dalai Lama, who said the purpose of our lives is to be happy. Well, for a lot of people, that is their goal. But the purpose for a Christian ought to be what? to glorify God, to please Him in all we do. But see, the world, in doing so, they seek happiness through many avenues apart from the Lord, such as health, wealth, power, prestige, fame, family, friends, immorality, or whatever. When these and a host of other things fail someone, the result many times is a broken spirit. J. Vernon McGee put it this way. He said, there are a lot of folk today who are actually sick with a heart sickness. It's not heart trouble. It's a heart sickness, a lack of joy. 
They live down in Mudville. They are the mighty Casey who struck out at the bat. And so it is. A lot of folks go through life disappointed, discouraged, sad of heart, with a broken spirit, sapping themselves of any spiritual vitality because they miss the point that God works in, on, in and through us as it pleases him. Let's see, when the child of God remembers his or her place and portion in Christ, their joy overflows. Psalm 116, verses 1 through 5. I'm read all five of these verses for you. Listen, please. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful." In the midst of sorrow, rather than feeling sorry for himself, rather than pointing others and saying, it's your fault, you did this to me, this is the cause of my suffering. Rather than blaming God, he called upon the one whom he believed to be altogether gracious and lovely and found strength and encouragement in him. Yes, a lot of folks today are struggling with this matter of a broken spirit because the confidence they have in a false perception, they're basing their hope on what they don't know to be true. All how we need to trust in the Lord and be confident that he will lead us in the way. Look over to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, another verse we see in this context of uh, these illustrations of confidence in, uh, in Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 14 says, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. This speaks of those who have confidence in possessions. Now, the first group, their problem was they depended on what they didn't know. This group, they're dependent upon what they don't have. You see, now we're given another proverb that relates uh, human behavior to the weather. And by the way, as you read through the book of Proverbs, you see many times the Lord refers to weather conditions to try and illustrate different truths he wants us to see. But here it says a false or a lying gift is one promised but not bestowed. You see, the word false means pretended. Clouds and winds. Those were signs in the, uh, in the elements that would give farmers encouragement and hope of coming rains to water their crops and provide the nourishment that our, their crops needed to be able to receive a full harvest. So seeing the clouds and feeling the wind, it gave them the idea that well, we're going to have a good harvest. But when those clouds passed over without dispersing any rain, it was disappointing. It was discouraging. And so it is with people who claim they'll give something, but never keep their promise. They're frustrating the supposed recipients. It's hypocritical for a person to promise anything if they know they can't deliver. Now, it's one thing if somebody fails to be able to deliver, they give it a shot and just fail, but it's a whole other matter when somebody makes promises they know they can't keep. 
By the way, this is a common practice in most every profession today. Whether you're talking about politicians, sales reps, service providers, contractors, financial advisors, medical staff, mechanics, repairmen, or yes, even religionists. People making promises they can't keep. People committing to what they don't follow through on. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Such was the case with Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not going to take time for you to turn there, but you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. There's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. What was going on in the early church in Jerusalem? There's a great need among many, and people were selling their goods and their properties, and they were bringing that money to the church and presenting it to the apostles, and they were using that money to help people in time of famine and difficulty and persecution. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they said, well, we want to get in on this. And they had a piece of property, so they sold that property. And what they did is they brought that money to the apostles, but they said, this is the amount we sold it for. They actually got more for it. But they said, well, this is all we got for it, and we're giving it all to the Lord. So what they were doing was lying. They were misrepresenting their gift uh, to the Lord. And we know the story how Peter called them out on it separately, Ananias and Sapphira separately, and both were killed. And it brought great fear upon the church because of the need for holiness in walking with the Lord in, in that time and in any time, actually. So God dealt with them harshly, but he did so for the purpose of, of bringing about purity and, and uh, honesty and integrity in his church. Now, when they sold that property, it was theirs. It was their right to sell it for whatever they want, and they could have given whatever they wanted, whatever portion or percentage of that to the church. But the problem is they misrepresented the truth. You know, that's common today with a lot of folks. The New Testament uses similar imagery to describe false prophets. You know, it's bad enough when it comes to physical monetary gifts or commitments, but it's a whole nother matter when it involves the truth of the word of God. Jude verse four says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, notice, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. How foolish for men to stand in positions of authority in a church or before believers and make promises and yet at the same time they deny the existence of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It goes down in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame." Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Harsh words. That's God's condemnation upon those who would stand before a congregation and deliberately mislead them and direct them into error. They're making promises that cannot be kept. 
You know, for someone to stand in a pulpit anywhere in any type of church or religious organization in this country or anywhere in the world and say, all you have to do to get to heaven is live a good life. Do your best. Pay your honest debts. Treat your neighbors kind and right. Be a good person and God will be pleased with you and, and welcome you into heaven. That person is a liar. They're a false prophet, blind, leading the blind astray. They are a deceiver. For the Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only way to have our sin forgiven is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in our own works, not in our own abilities. So how tragic that we have the example here and the warning in Proverbs about those who um, boast of a false gift. Eternity is a wonderful gift and it is offered freely to whosoever will, but it comes at the price of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And leaving that factor out of this, out of salvation's equation gives people false hope. People today need to believe in Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday said, I would rather believe and preach a truth, no matter how unpleasant, than to believe and preach a lie simply for the friendship and favor of some people. Someone else has said, anytime you find the truth standing in your way, you may be sure you're headed in the wrong direction. You see, people having confidence in something they think they possess, but they do not, because it's a false gift. It's a false hope. Moving down to verse 19 in chapter 25, we have the third example here. Confidence in people. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. As we read the book of Proverbs, we know one of the themes of that book, one of the major topics, is knowing the character, recognizing the character of other people. And we have this warning here. Putting trust or confiding in an unfaithful person is as useless as a bad foot or a broken tooth. Now, all of us can understand this picture. We can grasp this illustration. It's easy to understand because if you've ever had a cavity, if you've ever lost a filling, if you've ever needed a root canal, if you've ever had an abscess, you know how incredibly painful and distracting and debilitating a pain like that can be. It just consumes your thoughts. Or on the other hand, a broken or a sprained foot. Have you ever been in a position where you've just had to hobble around because of a broken foot? You know how difficult, it's, it's almost impossible to do anything effectively when you can't walk. It's, poss- it's impossible to really enjoy life if you can't eat. The illustration here is so clear. Trusting in an unfaithful person can do great harm. And maybe some of you have experienced that personally. For that, I'm sorry. Because it is heartbreaking to know how a perceived friend can turn on you and do such great harm. Job expressed this concern over his friends, and I've said this before. You think about it, these three men, they traveled, when they heard about Job's predicament, they traveled to visit him, and they sat with him, and for seven days didn't say a thing. 
I mean, some folks, they won't spend seven minutes with somebody if there's not going to be some sort of conversation involved in it. For seven days, they sat there with him. Then the advice started rolling. For Job, it would have been better if they'd remained silent. In Job 6.15, he said, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the stream of brooks, they pass away. He said they thought they were being a help, but they did more harm than good. That's what happens when we trust in someone who's unfaithful, someone who's not right with the Lord, someone who's untrustworthy and undependable. Paul faced this challenge on his first missionary journey. Remember, Barnabas and Saul were sent out from Antioch in Acts chapter 13, wherein the Bible tells us, uh, God, the Spirit of God said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. They went out. Barnabas took with them a young man named John Mark. It was his nephew. And the three were doing fine. But the problem is they ran into some real difficulties on the island of Cyprus when they got involved with those who were participating in, in satanic worship and things like that. We'll not get into all that right now. But when they got back to the mainland up to Asia Minor, <laughs> now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John Mark said, I've had enough of this. Man, this, this is far more than I expected. This isn't something I signed up for. And he headed out. Well, in Acts chapter 15, after the Jerusalem council, when Barnabas and Paul are recounting their first visit, and they want to go out again, and Barnabas, lo and behold, he says what? He says, you know, I want to give John Mark a second chance. I want to take him with us. <laughs> Paul says, not on your life. He said, I'm not going. He said, this isn't going to happen. And in fact, the contention between them was so great that they what? They went different directions. Paul said, he's unfaithful. He's undependable. We gave him a chance the first time. I'm not going to do it again. Well, at that point, we see mission, the mission endeavor was doubled. Because Barnabas went with John one way. And Paul and Silas went another way. And uh, we see God did a great work uh, through the lives of these men. But uh, Paul said, I'm not going to trust him again. Oh, by the way, the story doesn't end there. That same John Mark is the one who authored, the human author of the Gospel of Mark. And when Paul was writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy, he said, bring, bring Mark with you for he's profitable to me. Maybe Paul should have been a little bit more patient in working with this young man. Maybe he was right to cut him off, and, and John just had to learn a hard lesson, John Mark. I don't know. We'll never really know the answer to that debate. But the fact of the matter is, even though Paul was done with him, God wasn't. Thank the Lord, God's not going to be finished with us either. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But Paul said, I'm not going to go through that problem again. And I'm sure each of us have learned a lesson along the way in saying, you know, I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. I trusted in someone, but that was a bad decision. And conversely, for us, wise people are always trustworthy. May it not be said of us, we were untrustworthy. And to someone, we were nothing more than a broken tooth or a lame foot. Now, we want to be counted on when needed, and we want to be trusted to do the right thing. They were being truthful. You see, people like this are truthful. 
when they say, call on me if I can ever help you with anything. If you ever need me, I'll be there. If you need something, ask. You know, some people say that and it means nothing. Other people say that and it means everything. That's the kind of person a wise, trustworthy individual would be. Well, these three areas, these three illustrations we see here in this passage of Scripture make it pretty clear that God expects us to follow His direction. His confidence in perceptions, people trusting in what they don't know, deals with assurance. There's confidence in possessions, people trusting in what they don't have, and whether it's physical possessions or the truth. There's confidence in people. Trusting in those who don't do, involving obedience. The Lord speaking through Solomon paints three very clear illustrations with language even the simplest can understand. It's an amazing thing about the Word of God. Those who want to know the truth can understand what's being said. The problem here isn't with understanding what's being said. The problem here is with applying what is being said to our lives and putting these principles to work in our daily affairs that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Let me close with this uh, poem. Until I learned to trust, I never learned to pray. And I did not learn to fully trust till sorrows came my way. Until I felt my weakness My strength I never knew, nor dreamed till I was stricken that he could see me through. He who drinks deepest of sorrow drinks deepest, too, of grace. He sends the storm so he himself can be our hiding place. His heart that seeks our highest good knows well when things annoy. He would not long for heaven if earth held only joy. Beloved, that is a great truth. We ought to look for, long for, and love the thought of the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ when he calls us from this world. We need not be guilty of driving our tent stakes too deeply here in this life. This is not our home. Heaven is. The Lord allows us to go through difficulties and struggles and trials One reason, I believe, is that heaven might be sweeter for each of us when we leave this world. Someone has said, sometimes the biggest struggles we face aren't in understanding God, but in merely trusting Him. These illustrations here, these pictures of what or whom we put our confidence in makes the choice clear. Trust God. Trust ourselves, trust the Lord's word, or trust the word of others. I hope these things would be a help and a blessing to you today.